Exodus for Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things media, check out cageclub.me. Hey everybody, welcome back to X's for Podcast, the show where we take a look at comics, mutants, magic, and marvels week after week through their many monthly titles. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Today, we're going to be taking a look at two different X-Men comics that run the gamut of the Marvel Universe in their own ways. Number one, we're going to be taking a look at Marauders number 22. Now, this is the first post-Hellfire Gala issue of the series, which has really been such a powerful transforming point for the X-Men. We all sort of saw the events of Hellfire Gala being big and kind of larger than life and changing what we expected the X-Men to be. But I don't know that we all saw it being such a dynamic transformation of the understanding of what makes the X-Men the X-Men. In this issue, we dive a little bit further back into the past of a number of characters and come to find what makes X-Men X-Men is something very gentle and nuanced. And that shows so powerfully through the interactions between Emma Frost and Sebastian Shaw in this next episode. Of course, it wouldn't be Mutants, Magic, and Marvels if there wasn't something outside of the scope of X-Men in this next issue. Emma Frost, along with a number of other X-Men, have been on a powerful trajectory to reintroduce themselves into the Marvel Universe in a larger-than-life way. This issue sees an unlikely but amazing villain from my favorite catalog of villains show up and have a connection to Emma Frost I never could have imagined. So it's all in the spirit of further growing the understanding of the Marvel Universe, especially through the lens of the X-Men. We hope you guys enjoy it as much as we enjoyed making it. And if you did, don't forget to give us a like and subscribe over on YouTube, Patreon, and Twitter at X's for Podcasts so you guys can help interact and shape the future of the show. All right, guys, enjoy this next segment. Keep those mutant lights lit, those Krakoan gateways open, and check out Marauders number 22. Hey, everybody, welcome back to X's for Podcasts, where we take a look at mutants, magic, and Marvel every week. And I fucking don't remember why I went to go do that here. That's only at the beginning of every episode. Uh, <laughs> it's been just such a long day. Shake it out. Shake your body out. <laughs> wow. I, I, I had a long day. Um, yeah. Yeah. Hey, everybody, welcome back to X's for Podcast. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me on... Buh, buh. Oh, need words. Okay. I don't subscribe to. Could you give me more information about how to find it? Is it an app? Is it a website? Is it like a back alley somewhere? It's uh, it's it's inserted straight into your brain. Ooh, uh, if I could okay. get some bull right into my brain right now, okay. Take do number thirty-seven. You, do you need bull to get through your day? <laughs> to X's for podcasts. We got lots of boo for you. Are you feeling tired? <laughs> Do you find yourself needing to rest throughout the day? Try boo. <laughs> All, right. All right. I got this. I definitely fucking got this, you guys. Okay. <laughs> Hey, everybody. Welcome back to X's for Podcast. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N I C O A C T I O N. 
I'm Kyle, and you can find me on Twitter and, and Instagram at Drantis82. That's D-R-A-N-T-I-S-8-2. Hey, everyone. This is Dante, and I hate to spell, but you can find me on Twitter <laughs> and Instagram on uh, under Inferno Magic. That's uh, magic with a K. Well, guys, I could not be happier to talk with this group about an incredible issue. The X Office has been churning out phenomenal material spinning out of the pages of the Hellfire Gala, and this book is of course, the book that started it all, Marauders, released issue number 22 by Jerry Dugan, Matteo Loli, and I can't even fucking believe I get to say this, Klaus Jansen, which, oh my, and when you when you get to why, and it meant everything to me, it meant everything to me. Okay, also, Rain Barreto on colors, with VCs Corey Pettit on letters, Tom Muller continuing to blow our minds with the versatility of his design work. There was a number of variants, but I think what we really want to talk about is this book. Now, I could talk for days about the nuances on every page, the incredible culmination of so many ideas, but I need to start a little bit further back. We've talked about the Lourdes Chantal classic X-Men story that was reprinted, reprinted in Marauders a number of times at this point, but I need to know, have we gotten your guys' take on the Lourdes Chantal story? I mean, Kyle, I might have yours from seriously like no, 1997 when the show began, but... Um, <laughs> You know, if you could update us since then, if that's the case. Yeah, I honestly don't remember if we talked about it. So, um, yeah. <laughs> well, have, did you have a chance to read it in when it was reprinted in Marauders? And if so, what yeah. were your thoughts on the original Hellfire Gala? I I did, and I mean, I I thought that it was a really intriguing story and a great way to build up the background of the hellfire club and i mean this this was a this this latest issue was a great compliment to that previous story kicking it to dante I don't think I've had a chance to talk about it. I definitely did read it when it was reprinted. You know, for one, I was super interested in this character. I think, I feel like we have saw the preview for this issue of Marauders, so there was a lot of buzz about Lourdes. I didn't really, I didn't know anything about the character up until that point, so I was really excited to dive in and get a little bit more background. I also thought the timing, of course, with the Hellfire Gala itself coming up was, you know, it, it was helping to kind of set the precedent, right? Letting, uh, letting us know as readers if we hadn't read the, you know that story previously that galas are not new to the hellfire crew it's very much you know part of their history i love that we always get to see how things in the current era tie to the history of the ekman and the ekbooks like but you know these things they've happened before it, it's just kind of uh building up you know from the existing stories and so you know for me that that whole story was really fascinating i had no clue that that was you know a little bit of history between emma and sebastian uh and kind of really the precursor to what we knew as the hellfire club as, especially as the villain and mutants you know being the central leadership of the hellfire club and i think it's so important that we notice not just the contextualization of how this was important to the Hellfire Club, like you both mentioned, but how it's uniquely important to Emma in an interesting way. Because the parallel between Emma helping Lourdes escape and what I guess is a much less exciting reveal for the Cuckoos with Wilhelmina is just, you know, it's... 
because we had positive. We're like, oh man, what if she's the sixth cuckoo? And then you know, instead it's she killed her mommy with a with a, with a window, and that's and her dad's gross. I that's not a sixth cuckoo. That's no. so much less than a sixth cuckoo. That's like so much less. That you know, not that the story isn't powerful and impactful, but it is maybe perhaps not as exciting as it could have been. Now, how do you guys feel about the further inclusion of that Hellfire Club? Are you guys Wilhelmina and Cade Kildare fans? Uh, um, what a sigh! I, 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 I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know how Kyle can be so expressive with these sounds. Like that. Like every time you just you you give us so much with just those. Uh. <laughs> And it's like the range of notes it hits. It's like disappointment, rejection, despondence. And it's just this tidal wave of them. I love it. (laughs) Well, thank you. Um, You know, when I was reading uh, Wolverine and the X-Men, I really, really, really hated that version of the Hellfire Club. And when they transitioned into Hominus Vrandis, I still really disliked them. But I am finding myself intrigued by this chance to potentially rehabilitate Wilhelmina. I mean, she's she's still an incredibly horrible person, but... She is still a dumpster fire, this is true. Yes, she's an incredible dumpster fire. But she's an incredibly, she's incredible. I'm like, it's a really magnificent dumpster fire with lots of beautiful dumpster fire colors. <laughs> but I mean, nobody should have to deal with the abuse that she dealt with. And it's a good reflection of what happens in the Lordis story to, from, from my perspective. It, it works very well as a, would you call this the the B story? You know, I feel like there's like a really strong, I, I guess, yeah, I guess it is the B story. It kind of feels like a mirror A, B story where like this doesn't need to do as much heavy lifting and gets to be the B story simply because the A story exists. But if that A story wasn't there, clearly this B story would have had to have been written in a different method that would have made it seem more significant. So I, I do get what you're saying. Like, I, they're kind of like, it's like the cookie or the cream you know an oreo is an oreo and it's it's, does the cookie make the cream better does the cream make the cookie better it's so hard to tell i want cookies i do too i always want cookies why would you do that to me well i can maybe distract you from the cookies for a minute with getting your take on how you feel about the whether it's the play out of these stories against each other or how you feel about the long-term prospects of Wilhelmina and her hominis verandi brood. Um, you know, it's uh, I was listening to Kyle talking about reading them in Wolverine and the X-Men. And I, I remembered feeling like it was kind of um, almost like a fun, refreshing take and ridiculous at the same time. It's like, it's, it's so hard to take these kids seriously because they're just, they are still kids, but they're just so vicious and murderous. They're all uh, little Chucky dolls. <laughs> yeah, basically. Basically. So like having any kind of sympathy is really difficult. But I think seeing seeing what they're trying to accomplish with sympathizing with Wilhelmina, like for me, it, it just it kind of falls a little flat 
only because, well, maybe not only, but partially because of, you know, the, I think the trope of using uh, abuse just really, I don't know, it, it feels overused, right? Like it, you know, the, are they, are they saying that the only reason that she's the way that she is, is because she was abused. Um, and I feel like that always happens with female characters. And so I understand the cuckoos wanting to help and support another female, you know, and this goes beyond just mutants, right? This is, this is more about um, female empowerment. I, I wish it worked a little bit better for me, but it kind of doesn't. It kind of feels like really shoehorned in with the, the Lourdes Emma Shaw story. But I do see the parallels. Absolutely. Like they, they definitely are there. And I think that the Wilhelmina story is definitely supported and empowered by the Lourdes story. But it, yeah, it just, it just feels so out of place still uh, for me. And, you know, I can really not just agree with what you're saying, but I want to point out that both stories do involve women suffering abuse. Then Emma enters into an unfortunate situation where she is exploited to protect another woman. The person exploiting her is famously abusive and it's so hard to miss how many of these characters are frequently involved in stories involving abused women i am certainly not saying there aren't that many abused women there really are and i do love how many of these women are empowered through the story it just does sometimes feel like perhaps there was another way to get there that tells another woman's story in a way that could maybe be more empowered I really agree with you. Yeah, I think that's definitely a more elegant way to get to the point I was trying to make. It's, it's not to say exactly that. Like, I mean, these these stories will continue to be relevant because, unfortunately, that kind of abuse exists. It still continues to happen, and we shouldn't pretend like it doesn't. But we also, you know, that I, I want to see other stories that explore why women are empowered to do the things that they do and not just have it be the same trope over and over again. Well, and that does bring us to the woman in question. Lourdes Chantal was when our original coverage of X-Men Classic number one in our first ever episode of X's for Podcast way, way, way back. When we covered that Classic X-Men, we said it was the standout Classic X-Men. When we wrapped up Classic X-Men in our 23rd episode of the series or so, might have been the 25th, I forget when Dazzler actually happened, but when we wrapped everything up, we said that that story was one of the best of that entire like 44 45 issue series we continuously dissected it whether it was arturo's excitement at this story he didn't know about or when i had mentioned it in the group chat and said i want to talk about covering this story before it was even announced that it was going to be reprinted everybody was like you know why did you pick that one i'm like oh you know hellfire you know that era it was just an exciting piece i thought would be good to discuss you know it's a piece that really stuck with not just me but fandom in general and we we see Jerry Dugan, the first writer to touch on that hallmark in a significant way outside of a single mention in the Hellfire Club miniseries in the 90s, early 2000s. We see a major retcon to a story that we didn't realize that we loved as much as we love in the first place. And that retcon spins the experience on its head. How do you guys feel about such a precious moment being retconned so quickly after being reintroduced to the cultural vernacular and the zeitgeist of what Hellfire means? It's a really interesting retcon and it's it's kind of it works here because right after uh right at the beginning of the issue 
Sebastian said that he went through his his resurrection to recover from the events of prior issues where he got pretty much beaten to a pulp by everybody. I think we can use the phrase revenge body massacred. Yes. <laughs> he thinks that everything's going to be all better now, and Emma still has this one little piece of information to hold over him. And I, I kind of like that he's still being punished, that she's not going to reveal what happened to Lourdes, or where Lourdes has gone after the deal was made at the end. I mean, yeah, in a lot of ways, when you say he should still be punished, I go to Dorothy in Sick and Tired Part 2. As angry as I am, and as angry as I always will be, right? Like, that's immediately where I go, because I can't ever forgive Sebastian Shaw for being, uh, I believe the phrase is, a little shitmouth bitch. So I find myself eager to see Sebastian's continued punishment, especially now that there's more Sebastians running around and like I can more actively hate Fabian Cortez and stuff, right? But Dante, how did that play out for you? Um, I thought it was great, honestly. Uh, you know, one of the things I love the most with comics, and I, I, this might not be the way it, it is for everyone else, but I love when they find a way to uh, reinvigorate or reintroduce a character that may have been introduced decades ago. Uh, with very little backstory, very little information, just very, you know, not much development of character. And I, it's one of my favorite things that happens in Marvel uh, constantly is like, there's this character that comes back and like they, they get developed more, they have a bigger impact for whatever reason. They have history already in the comics, like they already exist. And so I love that they've, they've found a way to, I'm assuming we're going to see more of Lourdes at some point, maybe not right away, but that possibility now exists, right? Because now she's not dead now there's this whole different avenue of how her life went separate from sebastian shaw which one is going to make him probably obsessed two it also introduces more depth to emma right she's not just this you know reformed villain who only became good after this other point no like there are definitely you know we've seen that she has redeeming qualities even before she turned you know to the to the side of the angels to be part of the x-men um not to mention adding like you know a little bit more uh connection to other parts of the Marvel uh, history with with the revelation that she's worked with Wilson Fitz. So it's just deepening their their interactions with these other characters and allowing more to grow out of this one little story. You know, just this one little point in their history is coming back with new revelations. I, I find it super exciting. Uh, so also for me, this really worked. I think it's going to be really exciting to see where the story continues from this point. So you said my two favorite words so i i do tend to think like i mean a lot of people it's dr doom for many people it's magneto for me like my ultimate bad guy is kingpin i just think kingpin is so spectacular and you know klaus jansen's work on frank miller's run of daredevil is legendary and is still legend and you know klaus jansen is constantly popping up on incredible daredevil projects like at days and you know beyond the fact that he's a master of his industry and a living legend it's so incredible to see him show back up here reinventing himself. You know, I know this has been a very popular 
popularized version of the Kingpin. I would say this Kingpin is probably closest to the Love and War Kingpin from the Daredevil graphic novel that came out in the trifecta year where we saw Born Again, we saw Elektra Assassin, and we saw, of course, this Marvel graphic novel, which was probably a little bit more about the Kingpin in a lot of ways, but still a reflection of Daredevil the same way that we could say for all of its being called Elektra in terms of Elektra Lives Again, you know, Elektra Lives Again is in many ways a reflection of Daredevil and the significance of the character to the mythos, right? But I think one of the reasons this scene played out so well for me was an authenticity, a genuine respect, admiration, and affection for the source material that it was referring back to. Now, I don't know if you guys are quite as versed with 70s Daredevil, but let me tell you, this felt like 70s Daredevil. How did you guys feel about, you know, I mean, not that you knew that I would have a lot of opinions, but I'm sure you knew I'd have a lot of opinions. So I'm sure at some point you were like, "Mm, the Daredevil of it. How did you guys feel about transposing X-Men to 70s Daredevil in this very surprising way via Emma Frost as a vehicle vantage point? I didn't make that connection. Well, now you're off the show. (laughs) No, we can't do this without Kyle. Kyle has been on since the second episode, so it would be really difficult to do this without Kyle. Well, (laughs) I don't know what to say to that. Well, then you can just have the thoughts that you should have had yesterday. Oh, okay. Well, well, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> bah. Bah. <laughs> I didn't make the connection that that was relating to Daredevil. I just assumed that he was having her be a fixer in regards to a number of the uh, more criminal enterprises that he deals in. I didn't know the extent of, of those because I really haven't explored that side of the Marvel universe. Street level is kept so separate and so kind of unto itself, you know, that Wolverine is connected to the street level world via his long-standing relationship with Punisher, with Daredevil, with Ghost Rider, that Wolverine is connected to Daredevil so directly through his on again, well no, mostly off again, relationship with Elektra and his connection to the hand and Mariko and you know Deathstrike there's like a lot because Deathstrike appeared in Daredevil before she appeared in Wolverine she was actually originally a character in the run that followed Miller leaving the book Miller leaves the book at 191 and this run kicks in at like uh, I think it's like 196 196 to 200 and it's you know there's a lot of connective tissue to Daredevil if you look at it from the right ways but if you're not deeply invested in both it's pretty hard to find. I'm looking at you, Dante. I know you can't see it, but I'm looking at you. I am looking right back at you. I, I'm on the same page as Kyle. Like, I don't know that I necessarily made that connection to the to Daredevil. I mean, artistically, style-wise, like, I could definitely see that it was it was more of that period. And I thought, I really appreciated that because it, it gave that sense of the time that the story was set. And it made it, it made the, the retcon a little bit more real in a, in a way. But for me, like, 
like seeing more connections of Emma with other players uh, makes perfect sense, right? Like we know that she has her hands in everything, everywhere. For me, like in more, more recent memory, I'm, I'm thinking Jessica Jones. I'm thinking Captain Marvel. So it makes perfect sense. Of course, she's going to have had dealings with Wilson Fisk. And I again, I think that really opens us up for more possibilities with stories, not just in X-Books, um, but in other titles as well. And not to have one of our standard X's for podcast tangents, but to have one of our standard X's for podcast tangents, I am really fascinated by the potentiality of the reintegration of the X-Men into the Marvel Universe proper, because one of the things that I think that we need to see from that is more dexterity of usage. We don't just see Captain America pop up. In fact, I kind of think it's a bigger deal if Peter pops up or Cap pops up or Bruce pops up. I think it's a little bit more normal these days to see Jen or Amadeus for a Hulk, to see Miles instead of of Peter when you need a Spider-Man. I think, you know, they literally just introduced five new Captain Americas. So I think just start to see them every fucking place, right? So I feel like it's a bigger deal when you get a bigger guest spot now. And one of the things that I'm hoping for from the success of the connective tissue of the X-Men under Hickman is perhaps we can see this sort of dexterity of self, which, and you know, to touch on a favorite core friendship, we all have had a really positive response. And I know, you know, your mileage may vary on any of the titles, but we've all had a very positive response to the synergistic interplay of Teeny, Leah, and Vita stories. We love how when those three writers are doing their own issues, you'll see what reads like a page of X Factor pop up in Vita's New Mutes. And you'll catch references to Excalibur in a page of X Factor. And it's a beautiful synergy where the characters sort of walk from book to book in a way that feels really natural. And if we can start to see Emma Frost do that, you know, with that stunning cover for Inferno number two, perhaps Emma is going to take a bigger lead role in the Marvel Universe going forward. I think we have room for there to be more than just the resident telepath that shows up, the resident wizard that shows up. Do you guys think that, you know, I mean, obviously Emma is the first choice, obviously. no one's, I mean, it's Emma, it's Emma, it's Emma, it's Emma. But do you you guys think that there are other mutants that are going to show that kind of dexterity and the ability to guess spot in a kind of I'm you know single name kind of character way well I mean if you hadn't just excluded Emma as my choice I was going to say that because we still have to deal with uh, her marriage to Tony Stark. We really do. I'm looking at you, Mark Wade. I'm looking at you, and I'm looking at you so much that my eyes are getting kind of tired, Mark Wade. I've been <laughs> looking at you for two years about this, Mark Wade. Mark Wade, why did you do this? Really quickly on that subject, because uh, I have been thinking about that a lot, and I, to me, when I read this issue and the revelation of the connection to the Kingpin, I couldn't help but think, like, this might be the story that starts to lead us towards the resolution of that of the marriage to Tony Stark like in some way I feel like that's that could be something that that's the linchpin the kingpin is the linchpin <laughs> I really really see that yeah you know because when you said that I even thought to myself when was the last fucking time Emma and Tony were Mackie Mac Mac in a big way and I'm like you know they were revealed to have had intimate relations in Civil War and they had some 
friction uh, a few times in things like AVX, but you know we haven't seen enough of them directly. It would take an intermediary like, oh, I don't know, the mayor of New York, which is what Wilson Fisk currently is in the pages mm-hmm. of Daredevil. Mm-hmm. So going to, back to your question... I kind of want to see Quanon. Ooh, what a good, yeah, claps, claps all around. Everybody, everybody. Three cheers, three cheers. We can, we can see her. I, I could, I could see her kind of exploring her own, where she belongs in the world. Because obviously, right now, it doesn't really feel like she wants to fit in with the Hellions anymore. Because she's she's really being held hostage because of her daughter. Once that issue is, is resolved, I could see her going off on her own and trying to make her own way through the world. Hot take, she's the least necessary part of Hellions. And even hotter take, she is phenomenal in every book she guest spots in, which is fucking half the time Excalibur so like it's not that other people and it's not even that she's bad in Hellions but it's it's one of those things where the cast is such stars in Hellions it's hard to have room for her and not that Zeb isn't doing a great job but everybody else is doing such a great job maybe she should be in Hellions part-time and something else full-time could definitely see that transition for her it is really great to see her as the central character or one of the central characters in a book and she is still that in Hellions even if she's outgrown the team in a lot of ways I, I don't know I still I still love that for her and I it's tough for me because it's not that I don't enjoy Hellions it's that I unfortunately you know kind of see Hellions as the means to the dark dark end you know Inferno mm-hmm. seems like it's coming out of some you know my my current guess is that Mystique is going to get the people who are pro-clones and pro-precogs, and she's going to get them all together, and maybe they take over Genosha. I don't know. But Hmm. I feel like there is some possibility that people that feel that the Krakoan resurrection protocols are being misused might have something to say about it. That is an interesting take. And that's, I'm so like, Hellions, you're bad news. Yeah. Back to your question. Because <laughs> I, I think it's still floating in my head enough to answer. Like, there's a couple obvious ones that I, uh, characters that are popping up, and I think they will continue. Storm is going to be a huge one, I think. <laughs> and if she's not, that is completely a waste of the position that the character is in right now. Regent of Soul, who never appears. Right? <laughs> I mean, I just really have to expect that we will be seeing her more, and hopefully not just in Xbox. Like that if I believe she, there's a cover of Black Panther where she sits yep. royally on a on a throne. Yep, I saw that. So I that's what I would expect. Cyclops is another one. My guy. I'm always looking out for my guy. I always feel like, you know, he he is one that does pop up and it always kind of makes sense because for a lot of, I'm going to say for a lot of the heroes in the Marvel Universe, they still will see Cyclops as the leader of the X-Men. Krakoa is not just X-Men, right? So we have, and especially now that we've got a new X-Men team, I think that the leader of the X-Men is going to be showing up. I think that's kind of a disservice to Jean Grey, unfortunately. I don't think that she gets that same kind of treatment, even though she's very much 
a leader of the team as well. I think she kind of plays the role of public telepath. Yeah. Scott plays the role of like PR face of X-Men tactical. Yeah, I definitely could see that. My my one worry, though, you know, in talking about like seeing X characters integrated into the Marvel, you know, the bigger Marvel Comics universe is that I don't know that we'll always get that same synergy that you talked about in the X books. Like when, you know, when we see Excalibur appearing in X-Factor, you know, anything like that. I, I feel like there might not be quite the same... Continuity isn't the right word, but that that same level of treatment, like it's always going to feel like a separate guest appearance that's like its own thing that doesn't even really feel like it ties back into the character's main book in a lot of ways. That that would be my biggest fear with any any X character showing up. Um, I hope that's not the case. It just never feels that way. Thinking about like something similar in Captain America with uh, Celine, you know, it was like it was really hard to place where that fit in the timeline because her appearance and what she was doing and what was happening didn't really seem to jive with Krakoa. Yeah. I hadn't even thought of it that way. I just sort of, I sometimes, as sad as it sounds, I kind of remove a lot of appearances of the X-Men by about two years right now. It's kind of a weird thing to say, but if a book hasn't directly addressed a major event, I kind of shrug it off. And it's it kind of ties back to something I just tweeted about that uh, reminds me of a quote from Scotty Young when he was on our show. He said that one of the goals of Strange Academy is to keep Strange Academy kind of floating in this nebulous, timeless period. So that in 10 years, if you pick up the trade or the digest, you'll be like, wow, this book reads well. And that's why when I saw that it's going to intersect with the death of Doctor Strange through a one-shot, I was like, ah, look how it's not in the proper number they can make a decision about how to collect it or not it can stand out of the numbers so they can do with whatever they want and i really appreciated that because you know one of my other suggestions was going to be magic should start showing up in every fucking book she makes a lot of sense she's serious she's kind of edgy she's very deadpool like that but she's deadpool who can you know both teleport cast spells has a buster blade and shows a little bit of skin and we all know how well that combo sells right I love that. I love that concept, honestly. And I, to me, I think that's the right, the right approach. Having a book that doesn't intersect except separately in a one shot is the best way to keep a book timeless. Like it doesn't need to, you don't need to worry so much about where it fits in the timeline of other books. One of the things I, I feel like I said this fairly recently on another show, but, uh, or another episode, excuse me. I'm not on any other shows. <laughs> you're, you're an exclusive. Thank I'm you. an exclusive. Yes. One of the things I felt like was kind of a detriment to a lot of the second wave titles that we got was that they like got a, an issue and then jumped right into uh, being tied into an event and some a of them some of them did a great job with the, the material and it still worked for that book but then it was locked into you know two issues of this event all of a sudden and we might not be getting or might not have already had that many issues to enjoy the new characters the new concept the new team that it might be so I, I love the approach of a separate one shot if you want these characters to tie in don't take away from the main series do it do it as a separate addition to it and just to highlight exactly what you're saying exquisitely uh using king and black sword did issues two three and four in 
King in Black after a giant size banger of a first issue. And it, it, it was probably one of the best tie-ins I've ever read, but I did wonder why Cable was a member of the book and then issues two, three, and four were spent symbiote Cable. And then he's essentially transitioning to a new position thanks to his title ending and some things going on over there. It just kind of felt like, huh, whereas Marauders did King in Black in an expert one shot that as long as you put it with the right trade, it'll feel good. Yeah, exactly. I mean, exactly. You just, you pulled it right out of my head and made it crystal clear. Well, I just, I know all the same references. (laughs) It helps. It does. So we've talked about a number of things throughout this issue, but one thing that we still haven't touched on in this issue is how we feel about the fascinating hand wave that was performed on Wanda's body. Okay. So this issue taking place the night of the gala really fucks with my head in terms of the read order. The morning of the, uh, the morning after. The morning after. Thank you. I'm thinking of it as like, I'm thinking of it very like it's 6am. No one slept yet. Right. So I'm like, I mean, mean, technically, I mean, the, the cuckoos didn't come back to earth. So yeah, I'm I'm dramatizing it. I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm putting a little Blanche Dubois in there, uh, right? So, um, but you are Emma, you are. So okay, I'm amused at the game that Jerry Dugan is playing. Something that really fascinated me is that, and I voiced my concerns about it at the time. I am not a huge fan of the fact that issue 11 of Cable came out the same day as X Factor 10 and was on all the same checklists treated very much like it would every other issue was either directly a part of the gala or tangentially a part of the gala on that checklist every other issue except that issue of cable which had quite literally nothing to do with the gala and barely made acknowledgement of it and i feel in some ways a criticism that was lobbed at hickman was hickman would introduce the thing and then be like lol jk i'm gonna go have a beard over here instead lol jk notebooks you'll never see and now i'm gonna go over here right and i feel like dugan might already kind of be playing that game as well i don't hate it at all i am very excited about his x-men i loved the first issue i love everything about the solicits we've seen coming up i am so excited about october's halloween horror themed issue so i'm here for it but it did feel perhaps in this issue like it it certainly felt like for the title that introduced the gala in the first place the epilogue to the gala was oddly personal to one or two characters and perhaps lacked the intensity i'd expected because it feels like it's only paying off something from three issues ago maybe four when the gala has been building for so long at this point did anybody else feel perhaps a sort of uh an anti-climax from this epilogue i actually kind of felt the opposite i thought that having all these minor references to the events was beneficial to this issue interesting love it love the disagreement all about it bring it bring it let's fight (laughs) i don't like fighting with you though well i meant like friendly arm wrestling not like punchy punch we're just okay 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 um it's all very clash of the titans male erotica it's very exciting (laughs) Yeah, I, 
Because for me, I don't feel like um, Wanda's murder was really that uh, reflective of the Marauders themselves. That was more of a Magneto thing. It was more of an X-Factor thing. The same thing with Gabby's murder. That was a New Mutants thing. That's not being brought up. I mean, at this point, nobody really knows other than uh, that small group of, of new mutants. But I mean, And they make some shit choices, okay? Oh yes. They <laughs> are the dumbest kids. I love them. But when Gabby is the voice of reason, not when Gabby is a smart, strong, independent thinker, because that is always, but when Gabby is specifically the voice of reason, you are three chimichangas shy of a team of Deadpools. Ooh. So, um, yeah, I, I really thought that it helped to build where, build the reactions to the events while not Im- implying that it's, personally affecting them i mean uh sebastian he wanted to be there for magneto but it's this wasn't a wanda story it was a sebastian story it was a wilhelmina story fine i even like get what you're saying and it's all technically correct dante just bring the hurt i guess I'm going to punch you with kisses. That's the way I fight. Yay! Kisses! (laughs) Yeah, you know, I I think I might be on the side of Nico with, you know, sometimes it's hard to pick and choose what's what's important. And it's not to say that anything is more or less important, but where a book and story and dialogue goes has to be important to the characters. And so I think that's where we see, you know, the, the choices made, right? Where which characters are going to deal with what happened or what piece of what happened at the gala. For me, I can't help but feel like the fact that you're talking about Wanda. That's a big deal. I get that. But (laughs) to me, why isn't Emma concerned about her brother? Why isn't that the first conversation? Oh my God, Christian is so dead. And I made that big fucking joke. It's Pride Month, kill your gays. So So for me, that's kind of, that was almost a myth for me. It's like, okay, yeah, there's a lot of other shit going on. But like, this would really be a big deal to Emma. This should be a bigger focal point for her and and in this moment. So, you know, the only thing I could say is, you know, maybe the the timeline, maybe when we're seeing this is after a certain point or before she actually knows, I, you know, it's it's hard to remember or hard if we've even really been given, you know, that kind of framework yet. So, but I, as much as I enjoyed this story, I couldn't help but feel like we kind of moved on from the the gala a little too quickly and not really addressing things that happened at the the actual event. And, you know, I have just, undertaken a pointless and needlessly large reread of a lot of comics because since you know coming back to comics and updating the show to be about present comics I've read a lot and the Hickman era was a lot so I have all those cool interpolated trades of the current run all in a vague order that you're supposed to be able to read through by reading these trades and I really enjoyed reading the books and you know I added whatever was missing like X-Men Fantastic four one through four isn't in there so i added that in juggernaut one through five wasn't you know and i ultimately found that as much as i really did enjoy marauders it felt very much like the most cast uneven book where everybody did ultimately get their time right everybody ultimately got their time like bishop even had a couple of cool moments in this issue 
issue when he was barely in it, right? But I did feel like there was no Kitty here. I thought we thought Banshee was going to join the book, so maybe he just hasn't joined yet. Cool. But now I feel like we've been told that since like February or something. And like now I'm just really waiting for it to happen. So I do feel like I've been led on a little bit. I'm really excited for where the book is going. Perhaps what I'm getting at is maybe even that Dugan is running so many exquisite plots so consistently, I would much rather have him doing two issues of this a month than this and Cable. And I know that with X-Men, he probably won't have time for two issues of anything a month, but... I do I do find myself a little a little yearny for a little more of what I keep being promised this book can deliver on and it does it just it never feels like 20 pages is enough to deliver everything I need. I could agree with that. 20 pages definitely feels a little too short in in this book particularly. I I definitely could use a little more time with the crew. Something that I think about uh, when it comes to a cast of characters in a in a title, book title, I often kind of relate it to TV in a lot of ways. I think of like, you know, each issue and, you know, an episode of something. And so when I when I really think about the cast of characters, uh, especially, you know, going back to when the f- book first started, I think, Nico, you kind of hit on exactly what I felt about the book very early on. It was it was hard to get a real sense of where the focus of the book was because the, the it was would shift the the point of view would shift to who we were paying attention to where a lot of the story was it and was so, that shinobi issue yeah i mean that hasn't been resolved like shinobi's been up to something for a while too and we haven't talked to him in a while so there, there's so much going on and i have to you know like sometimes in a in a television show you have the same set of characters and you see each of them maybe not equally but all of them at least partially and there's intersection and different stories right and and then there are some some shows where you think like okay these are the core characters and sometimes you don't even see those characters and that's that can be kind of jarring but sometimes it's really nice to refocus on characters that aren't getting as much attention the doctor light episode on doctor who there is an idea where for a number of series in a row in order to facilitate more unique stories and cut down on production time there would be co they'll be simultaneously produced a doctor light episode and a companion light episode Mm. and it would allow them to film two episodes at roughly the same time one that took the doctor away from his companion and one that took the companion away from their doctor uh the then there is also a series where there's a doctor and a companion light episode uh series three of doctor who blink the doctor and his companion are only in for a matter of minutes because it's a doctor and companion light episode but then there is my favorite episode of the rtd era in series four an episode called midnight which is just a truly exquisite piece of television horror. And in it, there is almost no companion, and it is a character piece reflecting on the Doctor with a group of strangers. And they're episodes that exist to jar the audience into realizing, wait, this is Doctor Who. Where the fuck is the Doctor? Wait, where's their companion? Or this is the companion. Where's like It's meant to jar you. And uh, it, it's it's truly exactly what you're saying. It's it meant to do exactly that. Thank you for that. The, the, <laughs> when you said Dr. Light, I was thinking the character Dr. Light. Oh like... my God, you're so <laughs> fucking right because we're talking about comic books. I'm... So I was like, oh, I, I have no idea how that relates. Uh, but now I understand that you mean like Dr. Who Light. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
And that makes perfect sense. And so knowing knowing that that happens in television helps me kind of reframe the way I read. And so I appreciate that. Sometimes it's, it is jarring because I sometimes I literally will will say like, "Where's so and so? Why isn't like why isn't Kate in every single issue?" Well, it's like Agreed. okay, it's bigger than just these characters, and I I appreciate that, and I do appreciate when we do take the time to like when we had a Morlocks focused, <laughs> you know, issue right with with the those characters coming in and being like really important to furthering you know things in Madripoor. Like I just I loved that right and. And it, you, we got less of the characters that we're more familiar with as the main cast, but oh, that was just so great. So it works for me. It works when this book does that because I think we kind of need it sometimes, and I think we need to give other characters a break to miss them a little bit, and you know, dive into these other characters a little bit more. So I have one last major question for everybody, and for me, this question is perhaps the the biggest thing about this issue. That's the smallest thing in a lot of ways. What do you guys think about the introduction of time travel to get mutant DNA? I actually think it has nothing to do with getting mutant DNA. I do think that Lourdes would have been a nice thing for him to have, but I think Sebastian wants to go back in time for some other reason. I think he's Sebastian Shaw, and if he can know to put money on Krakoa in the past to give himself an upper hand, he would, and I would not be shocked if he's a part of Mystique's inevitable clone. Maybe it's, you know, it's it's clones and it's precogs and it's capitalists. Maybe that's what it is. And those are the different tables, right? Clones, cogs, and cats. That's the fuck it is, man. So, you know, with a copycat to kick it all off. But what do you guys think about this possibility of exactly the point that, that he raised? Why can't people travel in time? I mean, in a matter of speaking, they can. Look at the, let's put Leland at the forefront to take on Nimrod thing, which they drop in like no one has eyes or something. Like, we're not going to see it. The fuck? That's huge. Ugh. So... <laughs> What do you guys think about the 17 things I just said to reply to? Oh, boy. Time travel is kind of scary. I can understand the desire to throw a Cerebro back in time in order to capture more mutant personalities, especially since we had lost so many mutants prior to when... Charles got the, what was it, a Shi'ar crystal to, a data crystal in order to store everybody's backups. Yeah. yeah, 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 fucking yeah, yeah, fucking yeah. Maybe that could get us uh, James Proudstar back. I don't know why you're thinking so big. Sometimes I just need to reach for the stars. I, hey, that's what they just did with another giant crystal, and that's how we got Sword 2. Hey. Sometimes you just need to reach for the Shatter Star too. Uh, uh, just throwing that it, out there. It's okay if you fall; you land among the Dazzler. Uh, everything so, sounds wonderful about that. I know, right? Dante, what do you think about all the other stuff I said before? Because I, it was so many things I've forgotten. You know, I I want to desperately believe that Sebastian's only reason is really for Lourdes. I I want to I want him to feel humility after everything that he's tried to. 
pool with Kate and Emma. I want him to have grown and to finally learn to appreciate what they have in Krakoa. And I hope that that means that he truly would want his love back, even if he was a piece of shit and doesn't deserve her. And no, so, he doesn't. No, he, yeah, he definitely doesn't. But like, I want, I want to see that journey for him. I, so now with this revelation, I hope that the, the time travel, I, I want that to be the only reason he wanted to do it. And he's not even going to, they're going to, he's going to abandon that completely. And I, I imagine there's going to be part of him wanting to search and find her and to, I don't know, ask for forgiveness, make it up to her, something. I, I want, I really want redemption for Shaw. Not because I believe he deserves it, but because I really want, I want to feel like Krakoa is, you know, this new era, the idea of Krakoa and the mutant nation is something that can actually help these characters like Shaw, these quote unquote villains to grow and actually change their own mindset about how they perceive the world and, and their place in it. And so that's that's my hope. I It's possible that you're right and there were ulterior motives. And if that's the case, maybe he'll find another reason for the time travel stuff. But I, I kind of hope that we don't go into more conversation about like, why don't we time travel to basically save more mutants? Because it's like, where do you draw that line? You know, we as readers, I think our line kind of goes, you know, to a certain point. But, you know, I, I think as we've seen, there have been more mutants than we ever even knew about. I mean, what about the mutants that were around during the time that Krakoa or and, and Arako split when it was Okara? I mean, obviously there were mutants back then too. So like, you know, where is where do we draw that line? And I think that's not a conversation that they really need to be broaching because they're already doing so much and, and kind of achieving a lot with, with the way things are. And it's already broken. So like they don't need to build more on top of that at this point because there's so many flaws that haven't even been addressed. So no to time travel. I'm hoping for good things or some kind of redemption and turnaround with Shaw. Again, even though I don't think he deserves it. I don't think he deserves redemption at this point. He, The whole point of Krakoa was that coming to Krakoa was your blank slate and he squandered that when he murdered Kate. So... At this point, I don't believe that he deserves redemption. And you know, I think that's at the heart of a Sebastian Shaw. I think he's the kind of character that is always going to constantly put you in a position where you might even believe for half a moment, right? And that might have been part of James Asmus's experiment with brainwashed Shaw in Generation Hope, right? Where you could actually believe for a moment it wasn't, you know, going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy that as soon as he remembered who he was, which it was in amnesiac not brainwashed my apologies um you know you, you find yourself you find yourself hoping against hope that maybe there could be more for him he's shown to be a man who wants the finer things who is capable of love who is capable of so much and the idea that it could be squandered so recklessly by a madman himself is the sort of danger that also attracts you to the character in so many ways and for that reason i really understand wanting it i just in my heart will always accept that Sebastian Shaw is a petty little boy who cannot let anything go. And for that reason, I think because he so actively plays a role in wishing for his own downfall with his actions, that I see him as deserving of it. (laughs) 
Hey everybody, Nico here. And something that the X-Men have always loved is just a little bit of magic in their storytelling. And that goes all the way back to the early days of X-Men villains, including characters like the Juggernaut. What a number of people might have missed because of the timing around the largeness of Ten of Swords, and ultimately its trade being released within a week of Ten of Swords hardcover, was a spectacular little Juggernaut miniseries. And while not every part worked 100% of the time, it introduced so many new and creative ideas and sits a amazingly in the cultural zeitgeist of right when it came out. It provides a wonderful mirror to some of the things going on in Ten of Swords in terms of the intensity and the epicness of that magic, and it provides a darker, more intimate magic for five issues of mostly solid storytelling featuring a number of excellent cameos and some kind of strange ones. But this series did give us a new character in the name of D-Cell. D-Cell is an incredible addition to the Marvel Mutant lineup, and she has contributed so little in terms of page number, but has made such an impact on a number of readers. I know we still talk about her over on X Twitter all the time. And it somehow wound up not collected in the tremendous Dawn of X volumes, the 16 volumes of Dawn of X collect the earliest issues of the Dawn of X runs, plus the stories contained in Giant Size X-Men and X-Men Empire. Unfortunately, that does mean that it doesn't include the X-Men Fantastic Four miniseries from early on in the run, or the Juggernaut miniseries. And I do feel that those are two things that are worth picking up for sure. The X-Men have always loved reaching out to the rest of the Marvel Universe, and I think some of the context for the tension between Reed and Xavier in the gala sort of makes a little bit less sense if you're not as familiar with the intense adventure that the team just went on with the Fantastic Four over their son, Franklin Richards, a longtime mutant counterpart of the X-Men. And, you know, I understand that things are different and canon changes. In my heart, he's a mutant. And I, I can't like talk about him any other way. So I just, I can't turn it off. And I think, especially with the upcoming focus on the Fantastic Four by way of the MCU, it's worth the time it takes to take a look at the X-Men Fantastic Four miniseries as well. Speaking of stories that did get collected in the X-Men Dawn of X volumes, the story in Empire X-Men is such an intense, over-the-top explosion of ideas, and I think while it definitely plays into a bigger picture, a number of fans didn't know what to do with it because the Empire crossover wasn't necessarily everything X-Men fans were looking for and so I think a lot of people might have skipped that one but I do recommend that if you guys enjoy the Hoxpox era it's so worth it to take a look at X-Men Empire if for no other reason it further develops the idea of what's going on with Wanda and right now Wanda is a hot topic for the X-Men and that would give a little bit more support to people who are looking for perhaps a little bit more on what's been going on with Wanda and if you've been wondering where Genosha went this whole time I kind of can't wait to see what's going on with that island. And lastly, just in case you missed it, somewhere in the late teens of Marauders, there was actually a King and Black Marauders one-shot that feels very much a part of the run that isn't directly connected to the events of Marauders at the time. Now, you probably caught us mentioning that earlier on in the episode, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention that X characters do pop up with some consistency over in Jerry Dugan's Spectacular Savage Avengers, which we covered for a while on the show here, and we're definitely going to get back to. But until then, let's take a look at New Mutants and let's hear from Nathan about it. (music) 
Hey everyone, it's Nathan, and in this next segment, Evelyn, Raven, Broadway, Steve, and I discuss the amazing new upcoming movie, Weekend at Gabby's. No, wait, really, New Mutants 20. This segment was a blast to both moderate and edit, and I'm so proud of the presentation that we are presenting to you, and I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as we enjoyed making it. Hey everybody, welcome to our coverage of New Mutants number 20 for Access for a Podcast, where we cover mutants marvel and magic oh my i'm nathan you can find me online at desleray away on twitter and instagram i'm steve you can find me on twitter at howdy duda that's h-o-w-d-y-d-u-d-a i'm broadway you can find me on twitter at at b-w-a-y-3-r-d b-way-3-r-d hey i'm evelyn the comic canary you can find me on instagram and twitter at comic underscore canary and that makes me Raven, a.k.a. Dame Red Bento, that queer onto or types you know, that you're looking for. Yeah, just type it in. You'll find me. Don't worry. Come on over. We got a spicy side. And today <laughs> we are doing, uh, what is it? New Mutants 20. Uh, right? Uh, which I've been referring to as Weekend at Gabby's. <laughs> I, it really does have- <laughs> Oh my god, no. <clears throat> Almost died. Oh god. Oh god. <laughs> Oh God! You said what I was thinking. Is it? Is is there a more accurate description? It's really called Secret and Lies, and this issue was written by the fabulous Vida Ayala. Alex Lins is the artist. Our color artist is Matt Miller. DC's Travis Lanham is the letterer, and we still got Tom Muller on that overall design. Let's let's just jump right into it, right? You know, the kids find. Gabby dead Mm -hmm. and their bright idea instead of like hey let's try to get her resurrected is to like you know animate her and you know then what I can only refer to as Paramount Plus's new streaming movie Weekend at Gabby's (laughs) so like it's true this this movie is starring Anole, Rain Boy, Cosmar, and No Girl in the role of Gabby like like where are you guys with this? I'm I'm kind of like it it's fun, it's funny, but I'm 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 wondering where this is all going. For me, it's it's not just fun and funny, but I mean it's also very I mean, they have some very freaking valid concerns. They already tried to talk about, hey, what happens if somebody like Gabby were to die? Do do clones get resurrected? And, you know, just like they pointed out, they just kind of patted her on the head and go, oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry your cute little sweet head. We've got this covered. Let the grownups handle it. And like now their friend, who is technically a clone, is dead. I'd be terrified, too, that they wouldn't bring her back. Oh, my God, I'm siding with children. What the hell? (laughs) (laughs) They have a very good point in this, which is that the adults really can't be trusted to care about their concerns. As as you said, Mm -hmm. they've made it abundantly clear that these are things they're going to think about at a later date when maybe it's a little too late for somebody like Gabby. And they've even if there is an answer to their concerns and a reassuring one, it's not given. And that's mm-hmm. that's the whole problem is that the adults don't trust the children. So, of course, the kids, which I, I keep calling them kids, but Anole should be like an adult man at this point. They're, it's really weird, weird that like Josh- I mean, they're young adults, right? <laughs> Sorry? Like some of them are like some of them are of age, right? Yeah, I mean, like Anole used I mean, to be for sure, I think. But now he is a child bartender, and it's extremely funny. 
is gabby getting her leg up on the bar to jump over and help another child helping him out and it's extremely funny and cute to me right oh goodness Um, but yeah elixir and eva both being older than anole and like looking down at him as a child is super weird to me because i think they're all around the same age they should be um but you know how that is things change and anole gets to sit with the kid table now Mm -hmm. as he should Sorry. <laughs> I was just Go gonna ahead. say, I'm still just the ages still get me sometimes, and it, it doesn't yeah. help that they're drawn differently sometimes too. Mm-hmm. It just <laughs> yeah, Anoli does <laughs> younger in this issue. He really he does. Ever in this issue, <laughs> he's younger than he was when he appeared. <laughs> their their artwork seems to jump back and forth in this issue. Were, yeah. were, was there more than one artist working on this? It was just Alex Lins, but I, I do think it was a little uneven. Like there are some scenes mm-hmm. with Karma and Rain that I thought were just like spectacularly good, and there's a mm-hmm. lot of facial expressions that I appreciate. Like Rainboy is spectacular. <laughs> uh, he's just amazing. I love that guy. Uh, but some of the yeah, some of the stuff was just a little rough, and I don't know if it's mm-hmm. rushed or if that's just the style. But some of it wasn't doing it for me. Yeah, like like I'm used to the kind of the rougher style for New Mutants. I actually I didn't know that I was going to like it, but it works really well for this book. But yeah, there were some panels where, yeah, there was a lot more like facial expression, a lot more detail, clear detail at that, which really kind of changes your perspective yeah. on some of these kids. So it's like, damn, because like Cosmar, I don't know, somehow in that abstract style, I still thought she was like more squishy. Like, like she couldn't hold uh, reality in, in one shape. And that's why she was always kind of looking weird and having nightmares and stuff coming out of her. But with more detail to her face, it's like, oh my God, no, she's, oh no, that's solid. That is, that is, that is bone structure has been redone. And like mm-hmm. every, oh, holy crap, that is solid. Yeah. And that is terrifying. Like <laughs> scream running into the darkness. Terrifying. Yeah, definitely. Cosmar was drawn as I think uh, a, a little less, a little less friendly looking in this issue, which kind of helped for the scenes where like Scout is just hanging out. Scout, Honey Badger is just hanging out, and it's all fine. Last issue, I didn't even notice the difference because I was so sucked up into the gala. But you know, this is a big switch from the Rob Reyes art, like you guys mm-hmm. are seeing, where his stuff was very Sinkovich. Yes, Sinkiewicz. that was so, my first thought yeah. upon seeing Rod Reyes's art. It's just absolutely Sinkovich all the way. Beautiful. And Cosmar really shined in that style. This style, kind of like, oh, okay, I get why she wants a new body now. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I feel like I also associate Mike Del Mundo strongly with, with Cosmar's design just because of those those covers were so mm. indelible. And yeah, it's, it's a little bit different, but it's interesting to finally see another artist's take on Cosmar. I also really love how James looks all the time. Uh, Jimmy's just hot. Well, yeah. Just looking great. Just adorable. Adorable man. I'm falling in love with him. He's very cute. <laughs> very kind. Very thoughtful. <laughs> Although we didn't get him in short shorts this issue, so I was kind of like, oh, <laughs> but, you know, still very right. respectable. <laughs> you can take a day off. You can take one day off. <laughs> well, I mean, plus, I mean, at least when he's wearing pants, there's, you know, that off possibility that it's going to catch on something or burn or snag or he might fall <laughs> down ever so helplessly through a briar. I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm just, you know, 
<laughs> like he's Things could happen. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are we finding a way to get Jimmy out of his clothes? Which I totally no. am on board with. I'm on board with that. Just you know, just so you know. But like, are we trying to like rogueify Jimmy? <laughs> yes, please. I mean, he he makes such a glorious himbo. Yeah. But like, like intelligence was not his himbo. dump snap. Yeah, it's like it's like I want to call me him, but we need another word like that is like a himbo, but like the 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 intelligence factor was not a dump stat. So like, yeah, oh, <laughs> he's delicious and he's just wonderful, and I just I I adore him to bits and pieces. Yeah, and I love I love seeing him in this role too, right? Because you know traditionally we've always seen him, you know, obviously has a lot of things to be angry about. We've always seen him as a more angry character, but we're actually getting to see a lot more of his. He's still tough, but he's got that that caring side, that nurturing side that kind of helps round him out as a person and kind of gives him that lovable himbo vibe even though he's not you know like dumb like Colossus or anything but. <laughs> yeah it was real good to James and I'm, I'm happy for him talked a little bit about the art we talked about just kind of the absurdity of the body switch which there are like you guys said they're very good points y'all were right about that there's very good points as to why the kids don't trust we got Cosmar denied going through Christmas. we've got Gabby never given an answer on whether clones will be actually resurrected we've got no girl who as she points out they gave her a code name that kind of mocks the fact that she doesn't have a body and it was taken away from humans and they don't really care about it because she still got her powers dude when she said that like part of my part of my spirit broke a little bit i'm like that's fucked up yeah yeah it's I'm one thing if she that. chose that name, but yeah, like for them to give her that code name, that's fucked up. So do we think that this schism with the children is going to be part of the lead up to Inferno? Do we think that these kids are potentially, you know, if, if we're all imagining that Mystique's leading a revolution against the Krakoan government, mm -hmm. which that seems to be what they're sort of implying. Do we think that these kids would possibly be uh, people that would join Mystique's side for that? <laughs> and if they did, would they maybe go as the exterminators? <laughs> <laughs> yes! Ah, that'd be so cool. The Lost Club, the Lost Club, as they're calling themselves, I guess. Also, did you see that map? There is a heart drawn around Santos. I was that like, I'm just a rock slide now. That got my heart going because I was like, oh, and you know, I know I had to have drawn that on the map because uh -huh. that's his like best bud. Oh. <laughs> Uh, so what do do we think that these? But do we think these kids are going to have a, a role in that, or do we think this is just more showing us a sort of a side of the breakdown of the Krakoan society as it is currently presented to us? So for me, I'm leaning definitely more towards the breakdown of this Krakoan society that the council has quote unquote decided is utopia and mm -hmm. we know that there's no such thing as a true utopia because not everyone has the same ideals as for utopia but for siding with mystique i don't know i feel like okay. these kids are very much screw authority in any form so i kind of see them as definitely being a chaotic unit which will lead <laughs> up to inferno and potentially have a role in inferno but mm -hmm. i don't necessarily see them all like joining mystique I don't see them joining either side. They're they're yeah. very much a me, myself, and mine is who I protect, and that's it. Mm -hmm. And also the Shadow King, right? Well, yeah, think... but they kind of dodged his. Uh, they kind of 
Avoide telling him because they didn't really trust him as well either. So mm, yeah, well, because they wanted to give him plausible deniability. Oh, yes. I thought, which is so... something that's a little <laughs> a little frightening. But right, no brain on top of her own very real and traumatic issues is the Shadow King constantly lurking. Yes. Yeah. And sort of, um, what's the word? Um, you ever, okay, here's the best way I could describe Shadow King in like real terms, right? It's like sometimes you have that like friend who, you know, when you're pissed about something, they're, they're ready to go. They're like, oh, you, all of your feelings are valid. Like, fuck them people, blah, blah, blah. Like, they're there to, like, gas you up and sort of, like, help you stew in your negativity. I feel like that's, like, a big part of Shadow King's role with both the Lost Club and Rain and all these other people where it's, like, he's trying to get them to sort of, like, harness that energy, but not in a way that is super productive. It's just, like, sort of, like, stewing in your own negativity instead of, like, dealing with it or being, like, hey, Xavier, like we should clarify the rules on resurrection. It's just like, no, you should just be upset about it. Yeah, yeah, you make a really good point there. Yes. Do you think that uh, Shadow King and Onslaught would be working together, or do you think this is just a convergence of negative energy? I feel like ooh. it's more... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was, I was just like, ooh, that's a good point. Go that's ahead. open to anybody. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, I would definitely say I think it's a convergence, but I think that mm-hmm. what Inferno is getting at is that, like, I mean, as Way of X notes, like, there is a rotten side of Krakoa. It's like, mm-hmm. they did this, this thing right they established this country but i don't know if everyone had a really robust vision for it like everybody sort of has their own to be like american krakoan dream right Mm -hmm. but like i think they're struggling to reconcile those things and they're struggling to reconcile whose dreams wants and desires have to get left by the wayside they have to i guess what we put in square uh scare quotes yeah i don't think they're going to be an active role in inferno at best they'll be like a passive role i think honestly that their big moment's going to come after inferno so mm. I think it's a, I think this is a convergence. It's, it's leading up to something. I don't think it is the thing. Mm, yeah. Or that it's going to really play into um, what needs to happen in Inferno, especially between um, Quiet Council and Mystique. There's a lot of balls in the air if you look at it right now. There's... There is... Okay. <laughs> Okay, no, I'm not going to snort. I'm not going to snort. Okay. (laughs) Sure you're not. (laughs) No, no, no. We have, obviously, the Wild Hunt kids and the Shadow King's influence. We have Onslaught's influence on the island as well. We have the trial of Magneto and whatever's going to come out of that. We have Mystique, you know, fighting to get Destiny back. And at this point, I think even if she got Destiny back, she just wants to fuck shit up. So, uh, and we also have over in Cable, which really ties back into it. Strife is doing the spell that Belasco did to start the original Inferno event. So I think it might be just like the original Inferno event where there's a lot of things that are going to converge. And I don't think that necessarily the Shadow King and Onslaught are, are working together, but I think that maybe their paths might align and that that's going to help stoke the fire. Yeah, like Nestor and Sinister. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Very interesting. Very interesting. I've got one important question for y'all. Who do you think killed Gabby? I've heard lots of different ideas floated around, even from somebody suggesting no girl did it to 
my theory, which is Rain, to just the Shadow King himself killing Gabby. I've started to think that it's possible Shadow King somehow displaced her consciousness from her body, actually, without killing her. Because mm. it's really difficult to kill Gabby. Like, really difficult. Especially if you're just the, the Shadow King. Like, how do you really do it? She seems intact. I feel like her consciousness might have gotten flit out of her body, kind of like how he'd been teaching the kids, and he might be keeping her somewhere. Mm. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree. Something about the way in which her body was found during the Elfire Gala issue. Clearly, like, Shadow King was talking to her before whatever happened to her, right? Because he's like, yeah. got all those text box. But then the way in which her body is just sort of, like, thrown there, it really doesn't look like she got, like, hardcore fucked up. Like, she doesn't, like, have, like, scars or things like that. So I, I've been thinking that as well, that, like, the Shadow King might have either, like, wrecked her psyche and sort of left her brain dead or, like, threw it somewhere else. Ooh, I like, like maybe in like a like a I don't know. They've been practicing the the Lost Club has been practicing like throwing their subconscious into like flowers and stuff. Like he, could, I wonder if he could also do that, right? Like just move her subconscious somewhere else. So like functionally, she's dead, but yeah, not entirely. I just had a bit of a aha moment, and I know it sounds like an absolute conspiracy theory. I think that Shadow King displaced Honey Badger. <laughs> and like like a couple of days ago, I was just I was rereading and Dokken says, hey, you've been gone for like three days and you left a weird ass message and saying that you were going to go do what was right. I'm wondering if Shadow King knew that Wanda was on her way. So good time to mess with everything that's going on for his own ends and used Gabby to strangle Wanda. Oh, wow. But prolonged, <laughs> yeah, but prolonged usage of or consciousness being knocked out of the body because, you know, she had to sit and wait and stalk and whatnot has basically uh, she was uncoupled for long enough that maybe her consciousness is lost elsewhere. And yes, the body did just start to rot because there was no soul. There was nothing really keeping her moving, going, you know, like actually alive, alive. So that's why her body doesn't look fucked up, but it is dead. And again, Dawkins said she smelled dead, like she'd been mm. rolling through the body farm. So we know it's a shell. Mm. So, yeah. I'm, so you think yeah. that Farouk used Gabby to kill Wanda? <laughs> mm -hmm. Whoa. Wildest theory I've heard yet, but I, I Yeah, like I like it. Because what better way to throw the entire Quiet Council and all of Krakoa and possibly even a good amount of, of the human world into absolute disarray, which is what the Shadow King loves. And that would give him an opening to like either get a corporeal body or do what he wants to do on this mortal plane while they're, you know, off holding trials and finding people who are accountable and, you know, shit's going down sideways. Yeah. Just saying. I absolutely love that because... Obviously, I mean, it, I don't think it's Magneto. I really don't think mm -hmm. Magneto did it. And no. I think to have Mystique do it would be way too fucking obvious. So I think there's got to mm -hmm. be something else that's going to come out of it. That is, wow. I like it. I'm down for that. I also wonder, so, sorry, Shadow King, like, okay, so Amal Farouk notes that the Shadow King entity is, like, sort of chilling right now. Like, since he's gotten to Krakoa, he's just been, like, a little less kind of dominant. And I do wonder, I mean, he's telling Gabby that, right? Like, in uh, New Mutants, what is it, 19? Mm -hmm. um, the, the gala issue. And so I'm really curious if, like, you know, in the same vein as sort of what Raven was saying, is that, like, maybe he just dumped the Shadow King entity into Gabby's body 
body sort of like you know mind crush her and then throw the shadow king in there and then when he's done like murk the shadow king mm-hmm. Ooh. and the shadow king i think i saw him in at least one or two episodes floating around in the background at the gala so it's not like it's not like he didn't have some opportunity oh wait you actually saw the shadow king's like shadow form like i i know like i saw i'm sorry i saw faruka malls okay form okay. there so if i saw farouk amal there i didn't see like shadow king because he they, he's, they've got the stylized teeth yes. especially but yeah no, no i saw farouk amal there and nobody seemed to be paying him any mind so yeah if he was just out and about on his own whatnot yeah Sh- shadow king in in gabby's body doing some major damage oof oof that can have some really great things. implications for a story <laughs> Speaking of very damage in Gabby's body, like man, the way Martha was treating Akihiro, that was rough. I was mad. At, I was, I was yes. mad at her. I was like, "How dare you!" Oh, oh my god! Oh my god! Hand me the tea. That was freaking hot. Oh, I loved it because every word of it was freaking true. Yeah, I'm sure it was. I was just like, "Man, you're speaking for Gabby. Gabby can say these things if she feels like it to her brother." Oh Unfair. no, Gabby is far too polite about it. Oh, She's but like, Gabby oh. loves him. Gabby loves him, and she would like have been like, mm-hmm. "Oh my god, do you want to spend time with me? Like, let's go!" Like, oh no, but that's the thing. She's constantly looking for his attention and for his affection, and he's constantly like, "Oh, you know, I'm kind of busy now, sport. You know, <laughs> oh, you know, I've I've got other things to do right now." He's constantly putting her off, so I'm sure she's been sitting there trying to do her best, trying to be enough, and no. you know, now no girl is in her body, and and I'm sure that they've spoken quite a bit back and forth in one way or another. So yeah, no, she's just saying exactly what what it looks like mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's not wrong she's not wrong about a lot of that it was nice to see akihiro using thought bubbles there's like two yes. thought bubbles in this issue and they're like the first two thought bubbles i've seen in like 30 years i don't know <laughs> <laughs> I was also upset with No Girl. I feel like she has a point. There's no sort of getting around that. Everybody who's upset in Krakoa has a point. I feel like it's not her place to sort of... Even if Gabby is upset about those things, we don't know if she's, like, enraged by them. We don't know if they just make her sad or anxious or any of that. And so it's sort of, like, no girl taking it upon herself to take Gabby's negative emotions and sort of present them seemingly, I feel like, with a mix of sort of no girl's own rage at the system seems Mm -hmm. really kind of twisted for me, to me. Like, I wouldn't want somebody to speak for me. If I was upset at a friend of mine or my sister or whatever, I would not want my friend to to go on my behalf and like cuss them out and like go in on them like that doesn't feel to like be you. yeah <laughs> and to pretend to be me to like, like not even acknowledge the fact that like you're speaking on my behalf but like fully pretend to be me yeah. and i just feel like there's something kind of twisted about that and i frankly feel like that's a big theme running through ayala's run on new mutants is this mm-hmm. sort of like because you see a little bit of it with with uh wolfsbane too there's a lot of sort of taking mm-hmm. on everybody else's like rage and sort of like you have a point but are you communicating it in the most productive manner not mm-hmm. nicest but just like what are you trying to get out of this except be like angry I maybe think, that's yeah. it that's a that's a really good point. I mean, I'm definitely not upset on Akihiro's behalf so much as I am on Gabby's because I feel like yeah. there's an issue of body autonomy here, which is another thing yes. that has been exploring yeah. a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, I love Akihiro now, um, but I'm not <laughs> sort of, uh, I, I'm not an Akihiro apologist. Like, I know he's a skis <laughs> most of oh, the God, time. Yeah. 
So Sometimes. it's like, yeah, it's more for Gabby. Mm-hmm. Maybe, but maybe it's as wrong as what No Girl did. Maybe it'll actually bring about some meaningful change to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we kind of touched on it too, talking about another tough conversation. And in this point, I totally kind of like hate Rain even more now because of this. Mm-hmm. But the conversation between Shan and Rain in the Green Lagoon about Amal Farouk. So that was rough. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, obviously Rain's going through stuff, but what Amal Farouk, what Shadow King did to Shan was unforgivable. unforgivable. She mm-hmm. nearly died. He took over her body. He deformed her body while in possession mm-hmm. of her, while in possession of her body. And, you know, he literally made her do these vile things to other people. Like, I mean, she was running the gladiators. She was running an arena where people fight to the death for money. So for Rain's reaction to Shan just coming up and talking to her, saying like, hey, you might want to watch it around the Shadow King. I thought it was uncalled for for her to do that and to throw Tran in her face. Yeah. Mm. Rain was there for that entire Shadow King arc at that time, too. It's like, yes. she knows, I, that's the clear sign to me that Rain is for sure distinctly under the influence of the Shadow King. Like, Rain has a lot of really justifiable rage about Krakoa. That, this is not justifiable, this this particular conversation, this particular oh. bent of it. Mm-hmm. Also, I would love if she would not ever speak to Elixir again on page. That would be... <laughs> oh, that was, yeah, I was kind of like, oh, 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 no. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she um, was so freaking like out of line. Ugh. It's like I'm just learning all the time that Rain is an absolute mess and a monster, like yeah. pretending to oh, be God, yeah. with Richter's baby. But like, yeah. God forbid, your friend is like, don't maybe be careful hanging out with like a a child predator, like non-sexual child predator. But like, mm-hmm. the Shadow King is like a creep, you know. And yeah. it's like maybe don't hang out with the creep that like messed my life up. And it's like, how dare you, Shan? Like, <laughs> do you think you have the authority to speak to me on who's a terrible person? I'm Rain Sinclair. I know who's a terrible person. <laughs> I am one. But like, that was all her stick. That was always her stick. She used to do that to Ileana way back in when Ileana yeah. joined the team where rain was always like ew she's a fucking demon like get her away from my great christian soul and like she ought to have gotten over that by now though i mean like her whole arc of getting over her like fundamentalist i guess you don't really get over a fundamentalist upbringing necessarily no (laughs) you really don't (laughs) but she's she's made such a such a dramatic change in her lifestyle which for the worse sometimes like the um, the elixir plot but like i don't know it just it's wild to see her still acting like this after all these years and after all this change and growth for it to still be just holier than thou she's well she's still acting like a teenager yeah is she though like how old are they anymore i don't know they're 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 in their i think they're in their early 20s now like shan and danny and sam are because we saw them in a bar in utopia but they were the older ones so maybe rain's still like 17 18 you know rain's only like three or four years younger than any of the other new mutants at least just established in the original book but they, they change ages all the time (laughs) <laughs> <True>. <laughs> what do i feel like today <laughs> yeah <laughs> but also i think i think 
I know when you guys mentioned that Rain was there for the Shadow King arc when Shan was taken over, and that Rain was actually, if you guys, if you guys read the arc, which I, I loved, but I don't suggest going back and reading because it is very fat phobic. Yes. I'll be a hundred percent honest with that. Rain was actually controlled by Shan, who was under Shadow King's control at that time, and you know she herself was upset about the foul thoughts that you know got put into her head, and you know the actions that they did. So for her to do this to Shan was ugh. like I think you guys said it was a really big indicator that she's under his control. Also, there is that point when Shan walks up and she and Rain's like, "Oh, my head." So maybe that might be some sort of indication of Shadow King's control. Yeah, I like that yeah. little bit of Dan, um, Danny, of Shan being like. You know, I didn't think you drank a lot last night, you know, just just to give us that little doubt of whether it's a hangover. Definitely noticed that uh, I'm looking at the panel, you know, starting in the, the pages, starting the Green Lagoon, and mm-hmm. they never show Karma in the same panel as Shadow King and Rain. So every time they're showing Shadow King and Rain, they're over at one table and then they'll show Karma, but they never show despite being allegedly in the same bar. Like you could definitely take a, like a, a frame of like Karma at the bar with them in the background, but we never get that. And it seems very intentionally done. So then when you mention like the, uh, my head thing, like that makes me wonder just like how visible and present Shadow King is to everyone. That just seems like very, it seems to be a theme running through this is like, no one really knows like how sort of, um, corporal he is. Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh, we What's did not see him walking yeah, away no. too. Yeah. yeah I, I constantly question like he didn't if he is physically there or if he is just mm. kind of not. Yeah. Yep. I feel bad for Shan being on the same island as the Shadow King because last time she was yeah. confronted with him was in, it was, this, was it a Storm Black Panther miniseries where uh, Shadow King took over a storm and mm-hmm. ended up, I think it was Utopia. And Shan knew that it was Shadow King was there and she just like freaked out. Like she was like, mm-hmm. oh my God. Like, you know, she was confronted with her abuser again. So yeah. obviously, you know, nobody's going to react well to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so uh, we've talked about the the heavy, heavy conversation between Shan and Rain. Let's talk about the fun little side trip. I know we mentioned a little bit about how much we love how dreamy Jimmy is, but how cute was that little field trip we got with Jimmy and Yana running the trainees? Love it. Love it. So good. Two trans mutants on page. I know they have not been confirmed in the comic, but they are confirmed by the writer. And it was really nice seeing Leo and Brother Nature again. <laughs> oh, oh wait, God, which so which characters are trans? And uh, uh... Uh, Leo, who is using telekinesis, is a trans woman in this issue, and is oh. I believe emo as well, if I remember correctly. And Brother Nature is he uses uh, plant powers and is a trans boy. Yes, oh, cool. It was so that. great. I I love how much more fluid representation we're getting in the new mutants with all the the different new mutants that they are bringing in it's not yeah. just oh look we've got boys oh look we've got girls like it's so just thrown in there and oh yeah cam them blah 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 they oh yeah she and like it's, it's like it's man. like clockwork and it's so lovely i love seeing it yeah. i just oh this little field trip was was absolutely fabulous and and it melted my heart a little bit because like yes they were going in and and you know trying to do the right thing and save the child and whatnot but like to have all of those people who are in the middle of that seismic event 
trying to defend that little girl i practically fucking cried right when's the last time if ever that happened in the pages of x-men where the they were like hey this is our member of our community and you can't take them away why are you trying to take away our mutant friend mm-hmm. it made me so happy it's so sad it's, so it's happy. good and it's a good note having jimmy be the only person who realizes it because mm-hmm. i mean i love magic but <laughs> we no. she's not the brightest no. <laughs> I mean, you could always have inferred that, but it's really great to see that she's still just punching away. Mm-hmm. Like, that her job is, like, as war captain fits. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> she's ready to fight. I also want to note that, like, you know, we've watched Jimmy sort of dealing with, helping, like, Warlock navigate his feelings. We've also watched Jimmy write in these journals, right, with Danny and all of that. And it's really cool to then see that, like, manifest on page, like, seeing his growth, seeing him, like, taking a second to, like, listen to the these people and all of that instead of immediately going to like fight them it's heartwarming to just like see him grow and still be good at his job still be sort of tough and whatever but it's uh it's nice to see a less toxic masculinity represented on page for like young men yes oh my god yes oh, absolutely yeah i love it and yeah. you can be protector and hero without being brash and obnoxious <laughs> Think of his background, think of his history and how much anger, like you said, how much anger and how much rage he had to deal with and overcome. And he has come so brilliantly far in what is basically just a couple of years, if that. I'm like, oh, I love it because it it shows that, yes, you you can become a better version of yourself without losing who you are. Jimmy is not solely a warrior anymore, which he was for, frankly, far too long mm-hmm. if you look at it when he first appeared he first appeared as a hellion he was trying to avenge death of his brother you know because he saw charles xavier as, as the evil causing his brother's death now charles there. xavier is evil but like that's another separate conversation <laughs> um, <laughs> i was like i was like i am not a i am not a charles xavier apologist or defender by any means but that that wasn't necessarily totally his fault uh and <laughs> It wasn't on purpose, right? And it definitely wasn't Banshee's fault because, you know, he took it out. He kidnapped Banshee on his first appearance, too, for that same reason. But he's shown so much growth. The X-Force years, he was probably, I think, the one who was actually allowed to grow a little bit in his emotional standing. Whereas, you know, originally he's just seen as this this angry man who's avenging not only his brother, but his tribe at that point in time. Because his whole Mm -hmm. family had been killed and everybody he grew up with been wiped out. Mm -hmm. And he actually was able to grow and change through his relationship with, you know, everyone, especially through Siren herself, which... I'd love to see him kind of come back and help her through what she's going through again. That would be amazing. I think this is the first time we've actually seen his uniform in action, right? Yeah. I love I the so, little yeah. alterations that almost seem a little bit generic for Danny Moonstar, too. Like, I'm kind of like, is oh, that just sure. Danny Moonstar's outfit? But, you know, there are some great throwbacks to his Native American heritage in mm-hmm. that itself. Yeah, yeah, they did a great job with that. Yeah, it's interesting to see the different New Mutants outfits, because, like, you're right, Jimmy has, like, a Danny Moonstar-esque outfit in a lot of her history, but, like, Rainboy and Anole have, like, the the young X-Men limited series <laughs> look at them, <laughs> mm-hmm. and then, like, Gabby's got her own thing going on, but something, I, it's interesting how the, the kids 
like Kappa and Leo and uh, Brother Nature who are like serving detention on Magic and Jimmy's squad or whatever. They appear <laughs> they're in like what resembles their prison their their Prisoner X uniforms, which is where they first appeared. Even though it's kind of close to Anole and Rainboy's fit, it's uh it seems more. They, I don't know. They're strangely reminiscent of their prison uniforms still, even though they're like a, oh yeah kind of a jump. I, yeah, I was about to say they almost remind me of uh, the prison uniforms from the Icebox. Mm, yeah. Oh, that's where these guys are from. That's where they're all from. They're from Prisoner X. How yeah, did they all make Age of X characters? How did they make the jump then from Age of X? Because anybody who wasn't brought into the universe, they were constructs. So how did they make the jump to six one six? Do they always have counterparts? I'm wondering. That I think there's two ways that it happens. One is Nate Gray, and the other is Vita Ayala. Their power combined. Nate Gray for the win. Yeah. Their power combined. Yes. I looked on the wiki, and these were their first appearances. New Mutants has been their first appearances. So, yeah, I don't think they had originally 616 counterparts, but now they're sort of being backfilled in as having had 616 counterparts, which I think is kind of cool. It's kind of like when the Age of Apocalypse characters would show up in 616, and you're like, you're like, that's Damask, not Emma Steed. But anyway, that's like so obscure. <laughs> Nobody else would know that. But anyway... <laughs> I, I do love it. I love to see it. I love to see the representation that Vita is bringing with their work in this. And I, I want to see more of it. So we get to the final act of the story. The Wild Hunt kids have gone to the hatchery to try to resurrect Gabby. They, mm-hmm. they run into Rain, who unfortunately was talking to Elixir, which, like you all said, should never, ever happen. Do y'all think that the kids are going to be successful in... In resurrecting Gabby on their own, or do we think that it's gonna be everything's gonna be discovered and the five are gonna have to get involved? I think they're gonna oh, the five are completely gonna have to get involved. <laughs> yeah, I think they're gonna fuck something up really bad. Like just when they're like, "Hey, we don't have time to touch," and you just cut to Rainboy looking very guilty. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's yeah, something's I mean, definitely if... going on with him. Well, and, and again, I'm worried about yeah, Shadow King being out uh, on the loose and whatnot. As it were. Yeah. I mean, it, these kids, you know, they said that they hadn't said anything to him, but I mean, he's not stupid. He is one of the scariest, smartest, conniving SOBs to ever be birthed <laughs> on the pages. So my thought is they try and resurrect Gabby. What if that gives Shadow King a form that he needs that he can jump into? I mean,. <sighs> I just, something is suspicious about him lately. I can't put my finger on it, but... Suspiciously cute. <laughs> oh. I mean, yeah, he's definitely adorable, but I don't know. There, there was some, I don't know. When I was reading this issue, like, something about him was just like, hmm, is something going on? As Like, is he, like, working on something else? I don't really know Ooh. how to describe it. He it is doing a lot of extra faces. Yeah. <laughs> maybe he is just a really extra rain boy, okay? Like maybe he has no body, so he has to like if he if he doesn't make those faces, nobody's gonna pay attention to him, okay? Well, like, I mean, I get that he's a walking puddle and everything, but usually he's a little bit more put together, <laughs> if that's at all possible. He did yeah, sp- just yeah. Oh, now that she said that. He did splash some starfishes. I didn't know he could do that, but I don't know a lot you- about Rainboy. I'm finding something new about Rainboy every day to love. <laughs> Hmm. I, I just want to. I just want to cuddle with them, even if like if you even if that was good. I not going to say what I was going to say. I was going to say I just want to cuddle with them, even if it'll make me wet. And then I was like, <laughs> cuddle puddle, cuddle puddle. All right. <laughs> um, 
and and then obviously we get to the last page. So so ever since the gala, I've noticed that Vita has portrayed Danny and Shan is is a lot more distant. I think that they didn't realize that so much of the fandom would like attach to their their strong friendship and attach such strong romantic vibes to that. Oh, it was pretty romantic. (laughs) I'm like, (laughs) not like it's not like they came out of nowhere, (laughs) right? Uh, Do do we think that that is a that is deliberate on their part? to try to distance the overtones that they set up in the initial arc. Well, if it was deliberate, then it kind of feels like queer baiting in a way. Like, you, you drew us in, you got us hooked, you made us super invest in these characters for that reason, and now you're just going to walk two different directions, and mm, I, I don't like how that feels if they did that intentionally. If they're just distant because kind of that's how the story's going, or whatever that's one thing but if they did it intentionally it it feels like it would be very disingenuous to these characters that we've grown to love i would I agree hope that, i hope that made sense <laughs> it feels it, yeah it would feel a bit queer baby like i'm like i recently did a reread of uh the crucible issue and it's like oh my god like just kiss each other like mm-hmm. come on thank um, you they're like i've got you my love like yeah like, <laughs> yeah i mean they have been They've been extremely close and friendly in a more than gal pal way, so to speak, uh, for like a super long time. Not just in this comic, but in the past. And it's just, I don't know. It's there. It's there if, if Marvel ever wants to, you know, make it real. Yeah, I am. I'm a long time for way before Vita picked up this book. I'm a long time supporter of Karmstar, like just Danny and Karma. They have they've been written over the years in a way that seems to transcend more than just a really good friendship yeah Uh, they obviously they're always you know hugging on each other and you know and maybe that's just a difference in the way that i as a male see friendships versus where you know females see relationships and friendships you know maybe maybe that's my own implicit bias coming into it but to me it's always seemed to always cross the line in that well, as a pansexual woman, the last time one of my best friends got all that close, well, she's currently my girlfriend and I moved in with her. So <laughs> I'm just saying. Oh, whew. I was like, I was like, let me, let me, you know, let me, let me preface that. <laughs> no, no, like, no, like, seriously, the, the way they have been just so close and so supportive of each other, the way they look at each other, the way they confide in each other, it feels like this beautiful, quiet, romantic relationship that has been burgeoning for a long time. And that hopefully sooner rather than later, we will actually see them, you know, have that relationship, whether it's a, whether it's a quiet private relationship where they don't make a bunch of fanfare about it okay fine or whether they're like you know fine let's do this out loud and proud also fine but like they need to do it they need to do it (laughs) just saying yeah it it got me right in the it it like got me in a bad way right in my heart when she when danny was like oh hey karma i'm like what the fuck that's your that's your fucking girlfriend (laughs) what That's your girlfriend. You walk up on it like that. <laughs> like, it's not like, ho, hey, karma. It's like, at least like, hey, Shan, or whatever, you know. Right. But anyway, like, I don't know. Like, sometimes I, you know. 
takeover. Sometimes we have wish fulfillment that we see stuff <laughs> that wasn't necessarily there, but I'm wish glad fulfillment I'm not... is for Amazon. This is real. <laughs> <laughs> Can I order their relationship on Prime through Prime shipping? Yes, please. <laughs> I uh, just wanted to go back quickly to the, the the portion in the hatchery real quick. One thing that definitely concerns me is I know that like Egg has noted that it's like a you know um, like a sterile environment. Like it has they have to like keep the hatchery and all of that clean. You know one one bad rebirth for Rockslide and they torched the whole batch. And my concern mm-hmm. is like okay, like the kids are gonna try their little like experiment, and if it goes awry, does that mess up? Some Cerebro does that ruin the oh. eggs? Oh. Also, the shadow king of it all with just like access to the hatchery while they're in there. Nothing mm. about that seems good. Like uh, the one place you don't like, you don't like mess around with your friends is like the hospital slash the like what do they call it? The nursery in the hospital yeah. where they put the babies. Mm-hmm. Like you just like, don't play like around. The in there. Yeah, like you just like those are just places you just don't do goofy stuff. And like here they come mm-hmm. as like petulant teenagers to do goofy stuff which i get but like you know go to the woods and like smoke a jay don't like go to the like the, the hospital and play with the babies yeah, put it in the water. <laughs> yeah. it really is in front of starting over again oh sorry i saw baby tossing just Wee! right like, I... yeetus the fetus also yeetus well... the fetus while they're in the hatchery, I just another chance for me to get mad at Martha for taking Ava's body like that. It wouldn't even have been so bad if she hadn't specifically said explaining would give you a chance to refuse. That really sucked. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, like, that was... well, this is just usual. Oh my god! She yes. said that line, and I was like, Martha, you fuck, you absolute fuck, Martha. I, hey, again, I think she came from the uh, school of Charles Xavier. How to use your powers? <laughs> <laughs> not wrong, and also she's never had a body, so it's I, I yeah. at least not in a long time. So I get her eagerness to take somebody else's, but I don't like it, Martha. Mm-hmm. I do not like it. Because... I do not like that language. It's also interesting because she's so, you know, bothered by not having a body. But I also feel like a bit that makes it a lot easier to just jump in someone else's. Like, she's sort of using the thing that she's, like, weaponizing the thing that makes her insecure against other people. Yes. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Uh, on the other hand, it also does tie in oddly in a different way with their whole mistrusting adults thing. Because I, like, absolutely can remember times when I was a teenager where I would be like, well, explaining to my parents would give them a chance to say no to me so I, yeah you know, oh god yeah oh yeah but i wasn't like carjacking their body you know <laughs> right yeah there's there's a small difference there you know just tiny things like you know, tiny I'm sorry entire fucking conscious you know. yeah i'm sorry i'm still stuck on you to sing the feet <laughs> i'm just imagining i'm just imagining I'm just imagining like fastball specialing like the babies at, like the hospital <laughs> <laughs> they're like they go to like they go to stacy x's uh oh my god what's the name of that place what is the name of uh, the bowery the yeah they go to they go to the they go to the brothel orphanage. <laughs> slash orphanage oh, <laughs> and they're just like hey stacy can we have some of these babies she's like sure and they're just like fastball special like oh my god sorry anyway uh, today on mojoverse <laughs> right right yeah <laughs> Weekend at Gabby's Part oh, Two. Right, yeah. <laughs> what it really is. It really, really would be. Yeah. <laughs> what um, other thoughts do y'all have besides fastball, especially babies? <laughs> well, no, no, honestly, 
I, you know me, I'm the queen of pacing. They did so good with this book. It, like, how many pages is this? Was, was this a 32, 36? Oh, gosh. Let's no see. way. It's got to be like 22. They've all been 25. Like 25? Because yeah. it, yeah. it felt like it, 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 I felt longer in a good way. Like, it really yeah, felt like they gave. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love that. I was like, stuff going on. Like a Claremont issue. Yeah. I, mean, I hate to always compare it to Claremont because, like, it's not, he's not the be all end all, but. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it had that like that thick, that thick content. Really, just oh. a lot of words, a lot of stuff going on. <laughs> felt, felt girthy. Yeah, oh, girthy. <laughs> you really rolled around your hands. There, where were the, <laughs> hey, where were the tentacles? If it's a Claremont issue, tentacles and leather and whips. That's like the hallmark of a Claremont issue. I'm sorry. Well, depending on what their outfits are made out of, I'm just saying. Oof. And and no girl does have tentacles. Hey, I am just saying. You br- you brought up their outfits. It was super nice to see Gabby in what looks like Fantastic Four PJs at some point. <laughs> Adorable. It was. Oh my god. Oh, she probably got that from Akira when he was boinking Johnny. Akira <laughs> Yoshida. This is true. Yeah. No. Like. Like. Honestly, they put so much story into just those, you know, few pages, but it felt like so much more. It it read beautifully. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I feel like that's been a, a, a hallmark of New Mutants in particular is Vita's ability to pack so much content in without feeling overwhelming. But mm-hmm. I do feel like I'm reading, you know, a, a story about a, a broader collective of young people with their individual stories often like overlapping, but there's definitely like multiple plots going on. In a weird way, it's kind of like, it's like Degrassi, but for like mutants, but like, <laughs> yeah, about like the fall. And teen pregnancy sometimes, but it's that same sort of like big cast, lots of things going on. What's happening with this group is slightly is like related but separate from you know the older group. There's also I don't know, it's like high school, but like not like in a shitty way, <laughs> like a high school you'd actually want to go to. Yeah. Oh, with cool mutant powers and body switching. That's what I love about New Mutants. I mean, when, so I'm, when it comes high. down to the New Mutants books. <laughs> Yes, New Mutants is, is sky high. I love that. that really that's is. pretty much what we just... Yeah, that's that's what I... I never thought of it that way, and now I'll never be able to unsee that. <laughs> uh, I, I, I One thing I w- I've been thinking about this whole time I'm reading New Mutants is the stark difference between the v- way Vita portrays these kids and the way they portrayed the kids in Children of the Atom. The... Oh. Vita, Vita, they have such a like great like these kids feel real like the children mm-hmm. of the Adam kids didn't feel as real they didn't have as much of the Marvel angst to it they almost feel felt like a like almost like a DC superhero team you know back <laughs> in the 80s. but like I I would love to see Vita have to put the kids in a battle with each other like mm. you know the children you know these new mutant kids would not like the children of the Adam kids at all oh, no well I mean give is a, a mutant so yes. at some point she may come to Krakoa so at some point Buddy with her absolute mutant fetish thing going on you know that she's going to be all up in her oh, feelings over that and no. we could see a we could see a we could see a face off that way Carmen's not going to give Buddy a pass to the Krakoa is she oh, like no. speaking of queer baiting just Buddy to mm. Carmen oh yeah that's like that is like Car- that is like Buddy's like MO like Buddy is I, I know I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Buddy is fucking Lex Luthor in trade. So, like, 
You did she, say that last time we talked about buddy. She really is. <laughs> she really, really is. Like you know, you know, you know the you know the 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 classic like Lex Luthor uh, picture where like Lex Luthor is stealing like forty pies because he can. Yes, my that's, favorite picture of all time. You're telling me. Yes, that's buddy. Yeah, that and that's right. terrible. <laughs> I mean, it's terrible, but it's, it's true. Terrible. <laughs> so. Good setup, thank you, Nate. Woo woo! All right. (laughs) Any other thoughts? (laughs) So many, none of them appropriate. (laughs) That's terrible, Raven. (laughs) (laughs) You say that now. (laughs) No, seriously. Have y'all never like Steve? Obviously, you have. But have y'all never seen that? Like the Lex Luthor stealing the forty pies? Like, yes. Oh my god. Okay. (laughs) Forty pies. If you haven't by now, like forty pies, <laughs> <sighs> because because Lex Luthor is you know Bezos. He just wants all those pies. <laughs> oh man, he's Bezos, but he's Bezos with actual more more ethics. I was and, uh, he's got morals, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's <laughs> respect for human life. Because when he targets somebody, he targets someone very specifically. He doesn't just shit on them across the board. Yeah, and, and his henchmen are well paid. As we learned from Porky Pig meets Lex Luthor, which is an actual comic, that <laughs> you laugh, but it's 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 it made me cry. And you I gotta know read. that he gives his workers like decent health care and shit. Which oh is- yeah. Wait, what? Like Lex Luthor mm-hmm. is an actual like working class hero? Are you kidding me? Oh. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he actually really is. Which is like that's why I'm so on the fence sometimes, especially when when Lex Luthor is black, because I'm just like, damn it, he's doing a lot of he's doing more good for the community than Bruce Wayne is. Oh. But <laughs> he is also he is, a freaking supervillain, and he does target very specific heroes and and you know goes toe to toe just to fuck them up well but maybe maybe lex just doesn't want aliens interfering in our affairs as humans i don't know xenophobic <laughs> you know but he's <sighs> he's okay making sure that other types of aliens are you know perfectly well cared for and you know dental 401k just, <laughs> just say <laughs> I do think it's wonderful that only in comics do are people able to become billionaires without exploiting labor. Like, right? I think, I think that speaks yeah. volumes about comics and billionaires. It's like, <laughs> oh, wait, you cannot be evil? Wow, the fantasy of it all. Yeah, all you have to do is write out the exploitation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's the high <laughs> fantasy element of it all. No wizards, <laughs> no, no dragons, just ethical billionaires. Making points. Well, that's the funny thing. Like, okay, when it comes to ethical billionaires, not only is he ethical, he knows that if he pays his workers enough and that he gives them, like, healthcare and everything else, A, they're more productive, B, they're more loyal, C, they're going to spend their money back at his company, D, they're going to invest in stocks for him, which gives him more money, and E through goddamn whatever fuck, it means that he's got a workforce that's going... Ah, shit. Okay, yep, no, 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 don't worry, we got this. Yes, we know you didn't mean to knock that over, sir. It's okay. You handled the legal side, we'll take care of the people, and the people are like, oh, you're rebuilding shit for us? Oh, thank you. Well, fuck, and we're not getting a bill? Okay, cool. (laughs) He knows how to keep the general public on his side. Well, he's wait. He's got what it. If, I mean, it's really hard to sell, I want to kill Superman. (laughs) What if Superman's the villain of his own story? 
I mean, he also sold enough to win the presidency, so I can't. I have been told. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What does he think he is, Norman Osborn? (laughs) I mean, I've seen some some wild campaign advertisements. You'd be surprised what what sways the American electorate. Look at 2016. I mean, hello. (laughs) Yeah, I think we're all well enough familiar with that now. (laughs) That could never happen. Oh shit, that happened. Yeah. Some good Lex Luthor politics at the end of this. I'm keeping that all in too. That's like amazing. That's like amazing. I'm keeping it all in. There's nobody in here who says Luthor. Good. Luther, Luthor, Luthor, just, I, I mean, it's a dialect thing. Just depends on where your yeah. accent's from, really. Luthor sounds like something out of He-Man. Yes. <laughs> it takes extra effort to say. It is yeah, really- Luthor! <laughs> it's Luthor. <laughs> oh, I meant it. What? Who is that? I don't know. <laughs> I didn't snort. Raven did. Oh my god. (laughs) That's amazing. Oh god. Oh god. I'm sorry. That's too much. Oh, it's good. Oh, fuck. How did we jump from. New Mutants to to Lex Luthor is the right. ethical billionaire to He-Man. Have you, have you never listened to X's for a podcast? <laughs> true enough, you true haven't enough, been in a lot enough. of rooms with me. Uh, <laughs> apparently it's the Evelyn effect. We have done this I, far I will make leaves. <laughs> 